Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and in this episode I have Suzanne Bansgrove who's joining me all the way from Down Under and we are going to be talking about the amazing work that she is doing for women in family business and just highlighting the everyday concerns and everyday triumphs that women are going through as we navigate being in family businesses and leading family businesses. Welcome Suzanne. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you on the show. I really do appreciate that. It's wonderful to see you again. It's wonderful to see you. And I would like you to share with my audience, what is it exactly that you do and um, how do you keep on pouring back? (laughs) So I work with family businesses. That's probably um, not a surprise. I am a third generation from our family business. So I understand the complexities and some of the intergenerational push-pull from my own family. So that's probably quite helpful because it does provide me with a few insights, what it feels like to be working with your patriarch and what it feels like to be the next generation. So that's that's been quite good as far as uh, working with families is concerned. So I spend the majority of my time um, consulting to family businesses around the generational transfer, um, making sure that we're creating a better functioning family system in particular how families relate to each other and how they communicate is so critically important and it's something I put a lot of focus um, on. So not just creating the governance frameworks, but really just using them as a means to um, to be able to you know, create communication that's useful. And I have to apologise, that's my dog barking again in the background. He's going to get a bit of a slight spanking later on. I did talk to him about this and he clearly didn't listen. So speaking of communication, doesn't work well human to dog. Yeah. <laughs> So apart from that, in, in, my, in my spare time, I've created um, Women and Family Business Australia New Zealand, and that's been really important to me because in all the work I've been doing, every time I would work with a family, I found that I needed somebody in the family who understood and supported the concept of um, the familyness and, and really putting some muscle around the family to be able to, you know, heal some of the wounds or improve uh, where they were at or really put a bit of energy into where we wanted to go alongside my energy. And more often than not, did I find that those who would take that role on would be the, one of the women in the family. And it would come at a, at a cost to them because it was, it's often something that they don't feel particularly comfortable with, but they understand it's necessary, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've realised that if we want to improve our transition rate from one family generation to the next and we haven't been succeeding doing this through our traditional succession planning approach which is often very transactional and focused on the business side of things mm-hmm. then maybe we need to focus more on the family side and encourage those and empower those who are going to be most likely to want to take that role on so therefore the concept of women and family business here in Australia from a very practical approach whether it's conferences or webinars was born Long story. (laughs) Not at all. Very interesting story because I'm thinking of it from also an African point of view. I'm not sure what, 
just looking at it from an Australian point of view, in Africa, I know that a lot of businesses are started up by women and they, they head uh, these businesses, they start them off because it's an economic thing. You want to provide for your children, you want to provide for your family. And women in Africa tend to be very resilient when it comes to this and very focused. And so we find ourselves sometimes disadvantaged because although we start the family businesses, we come from a very patriarchal community and they will recognize our businesses, but the growth of them therefore needs you to work twice as hard as a man would work to get their business off the ground or to get their business working. What has been your experience in Australia and also in seeing what happens in New Zealand? Is it the same? It's really interesting. And I think it sort of ties into the, the global um, issue that we're facing that as much as we talk about equality and um, and really pushing towards that, that fundamentally, even in Western societies, which is Australia is, women are still not, not equal. And we still, and this is sort of where this imposter syndrome comes from, because on the surface, we are all equal. And if you ask the men, we are all equal. But when it comes to even from a, um, making businesses work, so I look at it from my perspective as a one of the few independent female advisors in this space, and it's quite male dominated, to, I would have to work much harder to get referrals because, again, it's our unconscious bias. So the majority of men who are in the position to refer business are generally men over 50, and their unconscious bias is to, is to also to accept men as being those more likely to be business-minded and they associate men with career and, and women with family. Now, even I associate men with career and women with family because that is the generation I've grown up uh, in and so I think there's a lot of work to be done for people to understand that they make decisions that tends to disadvantage women and it's not even something that they do deliberately so I'm not ever upset with any of those men around me who just automatically refer to big firms and to men because it is it's just not even like it doesn't even really uh, come into their mind and if you try to um, call them out on it they just they don't actually realize what they're doing until they spend a lot of time thinking about it so it comes back down to this concept of gently and honestly sh showcasing and calling people out on their bias and get them to understand how they are continuing to to create this issue that sees women have to work so much harder and it's quite interesting because when you see what's been going on globally right now with um, the COVID-19 and the handling of it, we've seen that female leaders, even with all the other roles we play, and I, I know we always, we have the narrative that men work very hard, but I tend to think that men work very hard when you put them in one trench and they're following that trench. And women, on the other hand, it's like you've got like five trenches going. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're a business person, you're trying to be a leader as well. And we should never underestimate all these commitments that we have because I'm just thinking of um, a Mother's Day advert I once saw that was done by um, a greeting cards company in the US. And they were recruiting for director of operations. And they kept on, and so all these people signed up for this job and then they were called for this interview. And then the job description came and 
they during the interview they're being recorded during this interview and they were told well there's no off days there's like you only eat after your associate has eaten you it went on and on and on and a lot of and a lot of these people said that's inhumane like how can an employee or anyone working for anyone be have to put up with that and then at the end of it they were all told well there is some people who actually do that job and it's moms and it hit them that there's just so much that is going on in a day for a woman and we juggle it effortlessly. Yet when we're put and categorized, it's almost as if it's a soft skill, anyone can do it. And that's quite shocking. That, that's an interesting concept, this, uh, this, this soft skill. Uh, and, it, and it's interesting. So we, we talk about empathy and EQ and, and it's something that for people with high IQ, it, it's something that doesn't actually really exist. It's, it's like a unicorn or a, you know, something like that. Um, how I describe it is, which is something that's quite fascinating. And I think this is some, something that I would love for women to hold on to and just recognize. And I'm not saying that some men don't have it, but we do it naturally. It's, it's almost this ability, apart from being very functional and, and being able to complete task and just do what needs to be done and, and multitask. But we almost have this ability to look into the future. That's how I describe it. And it is understanding the consequences on human beings for certain actions. So when we talk about that, every decision that we make has a consequence, this ability to understand how decisions and how actions impact on the well-being of human being and on the um, how the, the fabric of the collective can hold up is something that I think we do incredibly well if we just give ourselves permission for it. And I think this is, it's not something, and then something that people call soft skills, but I think it is something that's incredibly valuable, particularly in family, in family businesses and, and in any kind of group setting. When you think of the word CEO, um, we've always heard it and associated it with chief executive officer. But I've seen it in, in the family business space, especially when you're talking about women and family business being used more and more to describe chief emotional officer. And um, this title is, is always inclined towards women, which goes to, which um, speaks to what you were saying that as women, we tend to then try to help or bring people together emotionally and, um, navigate their feelings and their relationships more than our male counterparts. Have you come across this term and have you seen it apply to our male counterparts? And do you think that, is it a term that is going to help empower the role that women play in family businesses? Or is it going to further um, lead us down that rabbit hole that categorizes us as only able to deal with certain things in the family business context or in the business context. It's interesting because this terminology is also well and truly in life in Australia, but I tend to find that women don't like to align with it. And this probably has a lot to do with what you're saying that it's one dimensional because it's only one of the dimensions that we bring into the family business. So yes, there are some women who operate mostly on the family side, but even they are, it's almost like business-like if you structure it correctly. What is really interesting is um, the importance of that role, regardless of what you call it. And what I tend to see when you look at themes within family businesses, 
I'm not sure if you've ever sort of come across this, but in families where you have the patriarch and the matriarch, and the matriarch has a strong emotional uh, voice and is really, um, you know, fostering the concept of harmony and equality and, and fairness amongst the family, you see a sibling team that tends to be um, very harmonious once the parents are not here any longer. There are some issues with that often they're over-related. They, in fact, are so harmonious, they find it very difficult to make decisions together. Nobody wants to be the leader. That's another problem to go through. Mm-hmm. But the absence of mum is very obvious in families, in particular where dad has divorced mum when the children were still reasonably young. And when you've got um, a boys, I think you can sort of start seeing if there's no daughter involved. And I've worked with a few families like that. And and you can you can sort of feel and see how the absence of somebody who can build the bridge between dad and the sons is just something that becomes obvious and creates a lot of dysfunction um, within the generation of the, the child generation and also within or across the um, patriarch and the, and the um, children below. And what I found also is that once you've got the stepmom uh, coming into it, they're very objective often, mm-hmm. and they don't bring that emotional glue that allows for dad and the children to be able to understand each other better and move on. So this concept of, you know, you know your dad and what he's like and, you know, it takes him a little while to understand what you're saying. So leave it with me. I'll have a chat with him and, you know, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. That's what mum does. What stepmom does is she says to dad, you've already given your children more than they deserve. And objectively, she's right, possibly. Um, but it doesn't really help mend the bridge also mend the, mend the gap and build a bridge between family members. So, so I think chief emotional officer probably doesn't even really start, um, you know, probably as, as good as it sounds or sort of as, as broadly as it describes it, it doesn't really go into the depth of how complex that role really is. Mm. And just listening to you, I'm just, um, it's almost like I've been hit by a, a, a train of thought when I'm thinking, you know, um, when you look at it, the, the different dynamics that women play um, in family businesses are not just limited to the operations of the business or the emotional glue for the business. Um, it's the pace that women sometimes set when they are running the business where employees become nurtured and they become accepted as part of the family. And when you have a female matriarch or a female leader that is encouraging that, you find that a lot more of the non-family employees stay within the business and are committed to the success of the business, as well as there is that element of, with women, we want, when I win, I, to a certain extent, I want everybody to win with me. And it's not competitive in a toxic way but it's very competitive in a let's do it together and I know like I have a Montessori primary school and one of my favorite sayings that I then heard the kids saying because I say it so often is teamwork makes the dream work and you see these Um. little kids who (laughs) come in and they're like Mrs. Matindi you know teamwork makes the dream work so let's do this together Oh, that's really lovely. And, you know, that's a really wonderful concept. <laughs> I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have to remember that. <laughs> and so I'm just thinking that from what you're saying, the impact of um, 
having strong female figures, whether they're positive or negative, probably weighs on a business more than we actually give it credit for. What is your thoughts on that? Look, Mel, so we, we, are, we are different, so we lead differently. You're quite right. And um, I know I look at it, I love the concept of leadership from a, you know, leading self to be your best self and lifting others up. And I think that comes back down to this concept of teamwork, makes the dream work, but also it makes people people's dreams come true. If you allow them as part of the teamwork to be able to learn about self, learn about others and to start stepping in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I come back to this, um, you know, what you've talked about before, the concept of um, COVID-19 and, and female leaders in the world certainly showing up very differently. And, and I think the defining factor that I can sort of put my finger on is that these women who are leading are not leading for self, they're leading selfless for the greater good. And again, I come back to this women understanding, you know, looking forward and the consequences, we naturally understand the concept of greater good being more important than, than self. And so I think in businesses, fearless women who are authentic in their femininity and what they really stand for. And I mean, Jacinta Arden, I think this comes to mind for all of us because she has been such an example um, really in how she's been dealing with it. And her comments were very much around, this is not about me. I don't do things for my own, my, myself. I do things that, that are best for all of us. And, um, and I think that is really what people look at and are inspired to because and I think this is also this idea when people are talking about that women are going to save, like they talk about Western women, but I'm not quite sure about this, but the concept of women saving the world. Mm-hmm. I think EQ and people who are looking at the greater good and tend to be content with less because they get satisfaction from achieving different kind of goals where the, what we've seen in the past, and I just talk about it as masculine I'm not talking about it necessarily only being men mm-hmm. which is materialistically driven and self-driven it's very destructive mm-hmm. and um and is a competitive environment where they're winners and losers and I think the greater good thinking and high EQ thinking that women tend to bring it's it's not about winning or losing so it is about creating better opportunities for all and I think we would love to all see a whole lot more of that. And I think people naturally align with that because nobody actually really wants to compete. We've just created a society that has been dragged into competition. And I don't think people are very happy with it. I don't think we would be seeing the unrest and the problems that we're seeing in so many different societies if people were happy to constantly have to fight to survive. Mm. And then on another issue that I'm thinking of, some of the biggest struggles that I've seen women Um, face, especially as they lead or they participate in forming the future or impacting what's happening around them, is this imposter syndrome. It seems more women suffer from imposter syndrome than men. Why do you think, or what's your opinion of it? I know (laughs) myself, um, I've, I've, you see, the first thing I was thinking was like, I've done quite a bit with my life. Like I've, I've done quite a bit. I won't take ownership even of my successes in my mind already. I was formulating a sentence that doesn't make me sound like I'm arrogant or doesn't make me sound like um, I'm trying to toot my own horn, which is a typical example of what most women do. Not all of them, but most of them. They downplay their achievements and they feel like they don't belong like 
did I do that? Like, did, am I that good? And am I, am I doing it right? What has been your experience of it? And in um, the conversations you've had, what have they brought out about the imposter syndrome and how women can actually start moving away from a space where they feel like they're incapable? It's a, it's a really fascinating thing because, because um, I'm, I was laughing before when you were sharing your experiences because I'd like to consider myself to be a, a strong woman who's who is um, you know, business creative and has been able to survive in, in adverse kind of situations and just kept persevering to get to, I got to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And yet I often find myself in situations where I'm incredibly uncomfortable because I'm fundamentally going against my own bias. And my own bias is that as a woman, as I said, I, I should not be taking certain roles. So there's a lot around our imposter syndrome that's found within our societal sort of our first seven formative years around how we observe the family situation and who is in charge and who is subservient or who like what the role of women that we observe and so certainly in my upbringing mum is the housewife dad has the the power in the family and a lot of little things around you know children should be seen not heard and and other one-liners that would be happening at dinner table or conversations that you hear around who you should be in and what it means to be to be a good good woman mm-hmm. don't align with the careers that we've chosen and what we're driving towards and so i sometimes feel certainly i'm not sure your age but you know generation x we are sort of a bit the ones stuck in the middle and i think there's a large portion of us who are now in the middle of our careers we are finding ourselves in leadership roles but we haven't reconciled <laughs> what we've seen mm-hmm. as we were growing up compared to who we think we're supposed to be as part of our society today and and we haven't really given much thought to to really to taking a step back and unpacking a lot of that because i think um so there, i think there are two causes one is within ourselves and we need to unpack and understand what's formed our bias and we need to take ownership of that and just recognize it for what it is and sometimes when we do feel uncomfortable when we speak up or take leadership roles in places where we um, our bias doesn't say we should have them we should we need to learn to just reconcile that and it gets better over time. So I know that it gets a bit easier, but it's still there. That's one part. The second part is that um, because men also still have their bias, Mm -hmm. they utilize language, whether body language or spoken language or or terminology that really shows a bit of um, your worth less than I am and it's not something that they do consciously but what's really interesting is that as I said before for all intents and purposes is everybody telling me that women are equal to men so therefore that is sort of the the line that that I that's what I believe in and yet within myself and out in the outside world communicating with men do I constantly get these little signs that don't align with an equality kind of message mm-hmm. and so by nature of who we are, we tend to take it on and question ourselves more so than we question our environment or question what we're listening to and, and reconciling it. So I think that so there's a lot of work that we need to do and that we need to take we need to take responsibility for self, but also call out what we're seeing in the outside world and just call it out as not being a, not being the right behavior or just questioning or challenging where we can as we grow in our own strength. And so and then it's important not to take that strength and be arrogant with it, but use that to help others 
follow on the same path and let them see and understand what it is that you've done to, to better deal with self and others. <laughs> so I hope that makes sense. It's a complex Completely. issue. Completely, it does make 100% sense. And it leads me to my next thought, which is, as women, how do we consciously and successfully navigate finding an identity where we are not trying to mimic or emulate our male counterparts because the business world that has been the most dominant for the longest time obviously the 80s were the baby boomers and um, were the, the order of the day came across um, gave the stereotype of what a successful business person is it's especially a successful businessman and so it was even, you saw it even in the clothes with the shoulder pads that gave you that big butch look <laughs> and made you look very masculine. And it formed, it formed an opinion or it formed um, an ongoing narrative about when you're in business, you must be aggressive, you must be domineering, and that is how you're going to, to win or succeed. Yet we're seeing now there is this movement away from that where yes, being aggressive is something that will make you succeed, but it's not being aggressive per se, but being persistent and being clear about what your goals are. So even the use of words now and how we describe the action is slowly becoming something that with women we can resonate with because the other thing is we've seen a lot of women who've emulated men and have become cold, as we could say, and they've succeeded. But then is this really something that's going to be sustainable going into the future? And how as women do we find our own identity, even if it doesn't fit any of the stereotypes or the characters that we have seen playing out and being successful? It's interesting when women do show up as men and succeed because of it and end up in the senior leadership roles or on the board, they're not actually adding to diversity at all. Because if you show up just the same, then then really what's the point of you being there? Because then it's just a self-fulfilling point. It doesn't actually aid the conversation around diversity and the, the value that women bring. So you're actually doing women a disservice if that's how you're showing up. Um, what is interesting, so in my early years, I was also chasing the typical career and I was probably showing up a, you know, a little bit masculine with the traits that I thought I needed to succeed, but it wasn't particularly fulfilling. And it's interesting, you're quite right. These days, I am courageous because it's that concept of it's uncomfortable. I'm not certain of myself. Like there's things that might not, I might not be I need to be brave or courageous. It's just, I'm not necessarily confident about stepping into certain situations, but I understand that I need to speak up for what I believe is my is that concept of truth, which is it's something that sits deep inside you. And when I'm certain of that, you need to speak up and you need to walk your path. But I've also learned over time that being that concept of being vulnerable, I'm really I don't really want to hide who I am because I am the sum of all parts, and I also have weaknesses and. I sometimes struggle with things and the ability to be honest and say, this is something I struggle with. This is not, you know, this is something I, that, that does concern me or that is causing me some grief. Um, and I, I look at it in the same way within sort of my, my smaller teams is that I tell them that I might 
the responsibility of all of this lies with me. And when it comes to it, I make the decisions. However, apart from that, I'm no more or less perfect than because which is not perfect. I'm the same as all of you. We all add equal value in, in different areas, even though some of you are much younger. And I also need to be able to say to you that I don't know something or that I'm struggling with something, not from a, and it's not a weakness, it just is. It is this part of who I am. And I think that's that concept of, you know, if you show people that you're vulnerable, you're allowing them also to, to delve into, your, into their own vulnerabilities. And I think for women, it's, you know, it is part of our strength. And so, but it takes practice and it takes, um, again, it's, it's about self-awareness and, and not masking and really delving into all the parts of you and just owning them, flaws and all. I've got plenty of them. (laughs) (laughs) I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you, Suzanne. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I I will walk away with from this conversation is that I see that there's a, a changing dynamic in women and the way we lead. We're no longer leading from the back or not allowing our voices to be heard, but we're leading from within and we are willing to lead even from the front when necessary, but we are willing to do it without taking away anyone else's relevance or power. And we are creating a new concept or what could I say? We're, we're showcasing a new way of leadership that is equally powerful, equally relevant, and may be necessary for the world that is slowly evolving in front of us. And I think that is really critical. And as we navigate our spaces in family businesses, family businesses being the the biggest impactors of economies, we are slowly taking the position of center stage and the light is shining on us. And uh, we will have to truly um, become the main actors whether we accept the position or not and um, overcome our yes is there (laughs) any final words that you have for the audience listening today that um, will help them be more reflective of the role of women in business if they are women and even if they are men who are supporting the women that are in business or are still trying to decide? First of all, you've just, um, your closing was absolutely beautiful and I'm very much inclined to just leave it at that because you summed it up perfectly and some of your parting thoughts were, were stunning. So I think it was a wonderful way to close this off. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to um, listening in as you keep on growing the Women in Business platform. Can you please share with us how people can engage the platform and um, listen to the content you have, watch it or read it? So at the moment, the best thing to do is to connect with us, either with me or with Women and Family Business Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. um, online on LinkedIn. We're just in the process of building the new um website platform which is where all the podcasts and webinars are going to be available later this year quite exciting we're just finalizing our color scheme so you know it's it's, it's those kind of things that are very exciting and very time consuming yes. <laughs> so just connect with me on linkedin and send me a note and i'll make sure to keep you up to that brilliant thank you so much susan